Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. I'm with my conversation partner, Brian Russell, once again. We're going through every reference of the kingdom of God in the Gospels, and we're going to pick up where we left off. But before we do that, I just want to give our listeners the context wherein we are speaking. We are sitting in a hotel room in Orlando, Florida at the Doubletree Hotel, and we just finished, yesterday in fact, the annual scribe training. And this is the training that I put on every year for authors and writers, most of whom were followers of Jesus Christ from all over the country. Brian, this was your first time at Scribe. It was fantastic, and I've written books before. I have several published books. I've written a lot of curriculum, done book proposals, but I would I would say I got my money's worth even being there the very first night. I know I went home. I, I just slept in my own my own house because I live really close to the hotel here. But I went home, told my wife, it's like this investment was already worth it, and I was already one day in. My weaknesses have always been marketing, and we got the full spiel on marketing. And the fellowship was fantastic. It was uh, there was outstanding group exercises, and I know just for one of my best friends was also in attendance and, and he absolutely loved it too and thought it was uh, he got maximum value so if you want to learn how to be a writer of, of really anything but in particular it was really helpful to be in a, a group of, of Christian writers to get excellent feedback on potential drafts learn the inside of, of the picture and again I've been around mostly from the academic side but I learned a lot I learned more in three days than I've learned on my own in the last 20 years so that's the best <laughs> wow. compliment I can give to <laughs> Frank and Frank brought a great team in. Uh, it was just it was it was it was a first class event. Mm. So thank you. Well, appreciate the kind words for sure. One of the things too that really really encouraged me was that as I said, most of the people who came were Christians, and a lot of them who came were on the Deeper Christian Life Network. The bonding, the spiritual fellowship, yeah. the new friendships, the new relationships that were born were really powerful. I had heard that Saturday night, people were connecting in the patio area till the wee hours of the night. That's great. <laughs> and we had our first session 9 a.m. the next morning. But when you hear things like that, and just some of the folks were just talking about how much they gained from it, not only from the content, but the relationships, almost teary-eyed. It was really, really rewarding. So if you're an author, if you're a writer, whether you're aspiring or you're an actual accomplished author or writer, you may want to check out Scribe. Now, we are not going to have an event in 2022, and I do not know if we're going to have one in 2023. That's all up in the air. In fact, Brian, as I said to everyone yesterday, this may be the last live Scribe event. I do not know, but we videotaped every single session. 
and those will be available at some point. And if you are interested at all in gaining this training and accessing it, everybody gets put into one Facebook group. So we continue the relationships and we continue the coaching and we continue to help each other. But just go to frankviola.org forward slash scribe and you'll get on the wait list and make sure you put your email address in there correctly. Because <laughs> if you don't, we can't reach you. Anyway, that's why we're here. And we just figured, hey, yeah. we're here together. We're in Orlando. Why don't we stay an extra day and do some podcast episodes? So that's sort of a behind the curtain peek into uh, what's going on here. No, and it was it was again it was fantastic, and even the, and you got add-ons for Scribe too that just for coming, and uh, those are available, and it's going to be make it even more valuable. Scribe comes with bonuses, so if you do access the video, you get a number of bonus courses that are all related to writing and productivity and creativity and blogging, et cetera, et cetera. All right, well, let's, uh, let's talk about the next passage on the kingdom in the Gospels. And actually, the next reference to the word kingdom in the book of Mark, which is where we are, does not relate to the kingdom of God. It's just a reference to kingdoms in general. And that's Mark 13, verse 8. And I just, since it uses the word kingdom, I thought we'd mention it. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, etc. So Jesus uses the term kingdom rising up against kingdom. And just as a refresher, a kingdom has three elements. A king, his rulership, and the people ruled. That is a society with a king. And the kingdom of God is the same thing, Brian. It includes all three. And I think uh, we get into trouble when we just make it one of those things, particularly when we just say, oh, the kingdom is the reign of God. Well, it is the reign of God, but it's more than that. It's also the king. He embodies the kingdom. And it is the people who are ruled by the king. And that's where the ecclesia comes in. Yeah, and then even the, the, the space. Sometimes yeah, the realm. We, we can easily make it, we can disembody our spirituality and not realize that there's space that we live in and how important it is for us as members of the ecclesia to literally represent the king in the space where God reigns. Absolutely. So the next reference to the kingdom of God, specifically, is in Mark 14. And... It begins in verse 22. While they were eating, he took some bread, meaning Jesus. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them, meaning his disciples, and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So that's Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Boy, I have a lot to say about this. I imagine you do too. Yeah, it's such an an important passage. (laughs) I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Obviously, this is speaking of the future aspect of the kingdom. And... When I think about what he's referring to here, and by the way, it does not appear that Jesus himself took the bread and the cup at the Last Supper. 
it seems that he just gave it to his disciples instead of partaking of it himself because he in fact was the embodiment of that bread and that wine symbolically and spiritually and it's sad when you look at the history of the lord's supper and i'm speaking of church history and how christians throughout the centuries have unsheathed their swords literally killed one another over doctrinal differences I mean, the pages of church history are splattered with blood when it comes to this issue of the lord's supper i was recently reminded of Zwingli and Luther when they met at Marburg <laughs> to try to hammer out their differences. Yeah. And when you look at how they differed, the differences were not that great. And they agreed on a lot. And yet, when that whole meeting was over, it was heart-wrenching because Luther basically excommunicated Zwingli and his followers and said they're not even Christians. And Zwingli wept. It just was heart-wrenching to see. Other cases were even worse. There was literal slaughtering over differences as to what the Lord's Supper meant. And I'm sure that has grieved the Lord Jesus as, as he has observed that happen. I just want to make a few points about this that I think will be edifying. You know, the image of the cup, if you take the imagery of the cup in both Old and New Testament, and obviously in the cup was the wine right or if you're a pentecostal and you think it was grape juice fine <laughs> even so don't get sidetracked but the image of the cup is interesting because you have throughout scripture something known as the cup of god's wrath so jeremiah 25:15 for example isaiah 51 verse 17 even in revelation 16 verse 19 you have an image of the cup of the wrath of God, all right? And then you have the cup of blessing. Yeah. In fact, this cup that Jesus gave to his disciples is referred specifically to the cup of blessing in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. And so I think of it this way, if you exegete the images, all right, which basically is a fancy word for saying you interpret the images. If you interpret the image of the cup throughout Scripture, you have the cup of wrath, God's wrath, which according to Romans 1 to 5, is a cup that every human being deserves. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us were destined to the wrath of God because of sin. And then you have Jesus Christ who when he was baptized the heavens opened and the father said this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased and hebrews tells us that he was without sin and so he was one who all his life drank from the cup of blessing here it is we were given the cup of wrath the cup of god's wrath because of sin and then he the sinless spotless son of god had the cup of blessing all his life but what happened after this Last Supper and what he was imaging to his disciples was that Jesus Christ was going to ascend a hill and he was going to die a bloody, horrible death on a cross. And Brian, in so doing, what he was going to be doing is he was going to be switching the cups and he was going to take the cup of God's wrath which we were given and which we deserve. And he was going to, in turn, give us the cup of blessing. And so what the cross was, it was the exchange of the cups. 
And so now we drink the cup of blessing because he took the cup of wrath. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took the cup of wrath, which we deserve, and he gave us the cup of blessing, which he had. No, that's 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 really powerful. And just to fill in, throw a couple other interesting insights in there is... Uh, was what I have to remember. Jesus did his meal um, on Passover, right? That's the how the, right the they're eating Passover together. So that's Exodus, and so they're celebrating the big salvation moment in the Old Testament uh, when God delivered God's people from wrath, and so they have this meal of uh, eating in haste, bitter herbs, all those sorts of things, and so it's just really fascinating that when Jesus is beginning to point ahead, that. He adds that right to the uh, to the Passover meal and kind of reinterprets it and gives God's people now in the in the church this uh, this meal of remembrance of you know where we've come from and then it, it's and it shifts to being anticipatory and just to add to the some of the Bible verses that you mentioned about the the, the feasting it's it's really interesting there's a there's a great text in Isaiah. Um, and Isaiah 24 to 27 is one of those passages in Isaiah that has a long look. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, picturing the future in some ways, and it's really interesting. Um, Isaiah 25, 6, just to get, read one verse, and this is out of the English Standard Version, but it's, it's not anything special about this particular translation other than you can, you can hear the imagery. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast mm. of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow of aged wine, and well refined and so again it's that idea that uh, in, in Isaiah and the Old Testament people are always coming to Jerusalem because that's where uh, the temple is and so in a sense you know, here's Jesus not it's only Passover but he's having this meal that's anticipating mm-hmm. the full expression of uh, of the kingdom it's like and it's like it's like you said it's uh, it's uh, his, it's bread it's wine. You have these two images. It's a feast in, 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 in biblical times. Even today, I mean, we've enjoyed meals together mm-hmm. and scribe and a lot with some of the great fellowship even during that event. Uh, it's always a blessing to eat with people, but when, when you eat with somebody, that's, that's about inclusion. It's uh, significance. It's about how you continue a relationship. So it's kind of like Jesus gives us this meal where uh, we join together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And in a sense, it's, uh, it's waiting, right? We're waiting for the Lord to come and eat that one with us in person. He's, pre- he's, yeah. real, he's really present. And obviously, there's been a lot of, I mean, all the different tribes fight over exactly what you said, over exactly what it means. But it's profound that Jesus gives us this meal. And he says, uh, and it's funny, there, there's a funny word, the way that it reads, um, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again. Uh, there's, a, there's a fancy word in um, Greek. It's called uh, it's called emphatic negation. So this is like the strongest way you can mm. say, I'm not ever going to eat this again until. So it's like, it's, <laughs> there's no way to say a no stronger than this. And so, but it's, uh, and then we pick that up. And sometimes we forget when we gather and do the Lord's Supper together as brothers and sisters, it's this fellowship meal, but it's, um, it's also a longing meal because we're looking forward to Jesus coming back. And Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 it's one of my favorite uh, texts in the New Testament that talks about the, the meal together. Uh, Paul reminds us in verse 26 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians that whenever we eat and drink of this, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Until he comes. And, I, and I've always loved that because it gives us that witness piece. So somehow when we do that, when we come together in peace, fellowship, inclusion, we're actually witnessing, um, reminding ourselves, but also witnessing to the world that there's a true king who rules, whose kingdom is uh, not oppression, it's about liberation, who mm. gives us freedom, forgiveness, healing, abundance, all the peace, joy, love, all the fruits, all that stuff. That's that's what the kingdom brings. And we when we share that meal together, we don't we don't we we're literally proclaiming that truth to the world when we sit down as brothers and sisters in peace and eat that so, and drink the and drink. It's wonderful. I like that you said it was a feast. It was a banquet because that's in, in effect what the Lord's Supper was in the first century, even beginning with this incident here, which many have called the Last Supper. You know, it was not the truncated form of <laughs> communion that we know in both Catholicism and in Protestantism, which is really more of a snacklet than a supper. <laughs> The traditions that I've been in, in various Protestant evangelical churches, you know, you get this little tiny thimble of grape juice and then this almost microscopic piece of unleavened bread. <laughs> and so I would call that the Nazarene niblet or the Savior snacklet rather than the Lord's Supper. I'm not taking anything away from that, but that's not what the Eucharist was in the first century. It was a celebratory exciting, joyful, enthralling banquet that was filled with food wherein people actually ate. And you see this clearly in 1 Corinthians because some of the people there were abusing it. They were getting drunk on the wine, right? And they were eating too much. So it was not what we have today. And, and there is a book entitled Pagan Christianity by George Barna and myself, where we have a whole chapter dedicated to how the Lord's Supper, which was once a joyful, celebratory banquet, turned into this ritual where you just have this little, <laughs> little bit of grape juice or wine if you're Catholic or in a liturgical church and this tiny piece of bread. And I'm not suggesting that there's nothing to that. I mean, I've taken that and I remember the Lord and I proclaim his death. But what the Lord's Supper really was in the first century, Brian, it was something powerful and exciting because it did anticipate and look forward to what the book of Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb Yeah, yeah. in chapter 19. And Jesus often would use the imagery of the banquet yeah, in in his Gospels. parables, yeah, yeah. you know, and when he said to them, I will not drink this cup again. And by the way, I, I don't think he was suggesting that he had taken it right then, but he was known as a person who would party with people, obviously not in the negative sense, but he was known. I mean, his reputation was that of a glutton <laughs> and a drunkard <laughs> because he hung out with people and had meals with them. He was a specialist at eating in people's homes. <laughs> and so he was known to eat and drink and to participate in these celebratory banquets and meals. And so I think what in effect he was saying there was, you know, hey, I have drank the fruit of the vine very often in many settings. I'm not going to drink it again. And he never did. But he's going to participate with us 
and the coming kingdom, the future kingdom, right? When he sets all things right at his return. And this banquet, it's not going to be a little piece of bread, <laughs> a little thimble of grape juice. It's going to be a celebration, a joyful banquet, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and and, and we don't, and that's true, you know, because I, I come out of more traditional church contexts, and I have a mentor. You'll like this, Frank. Um, you know, in the the tradition, the way that we typically we never we don't do the little crackers and stuff. We actually have a real loaf of bread and we tear a chunk off and then we dip it in a cup. Again, still a ritual, but mm -hmm. um, but it's but it's better because you can get it's, as, it's a little bit closer. You can to get the... as much bread as you want. And I have a, a good friend of mine. I've talked about Doctor Tuttle before. Robert Tuttle, Bob Tuttle. He's a great guy. He always um he always said we should go back for seconds, which is closer. And I, and I just want to remind yeah. I mean, that because that's the piece that we miss sometimes. Because sometimes it, yeah, when you just do a little wafer, it can be meaningful and people do get meaning. But it misses the abundance of the meal and like you know one of my favorite texts and this text was really powerful for me um it's john's gospel doesn't have this exact scene in it the same way but um, in a sense when you go back and look in john 6 where jesus feeds the five thousand, jesus talks about the bread and um, uh, like i'm the bread of life and so you get a similar piece but one of the parts i love about mm -hmm. that is you know he feeds five thousand. but my one of my favorite verses in the whole bible that, that just gets to this banqueting thing is uh, mm. he, he feeds 5,000 with basically, um, you know, a fish and, you know, just a, <laughs> a, couple yeah. loaves, a couple loaves of bread or whatever. But then what's so awesome is, uh, I mean, I love this, 611, Jesus took the loaves, this is from John's Gospel, and when he'd given thanks, so it sounds like the same kind of thing at the communion, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, and this is what I love, Frank, as much as they wanted. Wow. When they were satisfied... They mm. gathered it up, and guess what? There's still a pile of food. Mm. And so that's one of the things that we want to see that, uh, yeah, this is about abundance. And it's the, and we're proclaiming that to the to the world when we mm. celebrate that together. That's just, I just want to throw that in because I think that's, um, that's so important. I always think of Tuttle, like, uh, go back for seconds. Because Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, there's enough for all of us, and there's enough yes. for the whole world. Yes. And if anybody's interested in looking at this in more detail in the book reimagining church i talk about the lord's supper taking it in our day first century style which is so different from how it's done in so many church organizations and denominations for example the mood the mood is typically very somber yeah yeah it's true very sober very quiet very sullen right but in the first century it was happy it was joyful. It was exciting. It was celebratory. As I describe in that book, the way it was done in the first century, and I've spent a lot of time researching this, is it was a full meal. Mm -hmm. It was clearly a meal. You know, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, is what Jesus says in Luke twenty-two fifteen, And the meal begins with the bread. That's the opening of the meal. And so what we have done, whenever we have done this as a fellowship in the circles that I have been a part of, it's a huge meal that has a lot of preparation ahead of time. And we begin with the breaking of the bread. And it's always unleavened, all right? Because Jesus is without leaven. He's without sin. This is a representation of his actual body. So we open the meal with the breaking of the bread and we share the bread and then after the meal is over at the very end that's where we bring out the cup 
right? So it opens with the bread, it ends with the cup. Now, it's interesting because as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. And what is bread? It is created from the crushed grain. Mm -hmm. It's a picture of death. And what is wine? It is the picture of the pressed grape, a picture of death, the crushed grape. The broken bread, the crushed grape, it all represents death, and it represents the meaning of that life that was given to us through his death. But the point is, we celebrate because the cups have been exchanged, because we have been given cleansing and forgiveness. My understanding, Brian, is that when we are baptized, right, mm -hmm. which is the initial act of conversion, initiation. Yeah, it's our initiation into the into fellowship, the, yeah. Into the ecclesia, the society of God's kingdom, into the kingdom of God, into Christ. That is the initial expression of our believing allegiance in Jesus. But as often as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that is the renewal and the reaffirmation of our believing allegiance in Jesus. It sort of the continual reactivation of what happened at baptism. You know, so the two really go together. But I just want to encourage people, however you take the Lord's Supper, you know, whether you take it in the truncated form or you take it in more of a, a little bit of a broader form like you mentioned, <laughs> seconds, or if you take it first century style with a group of believers where it's a full-blown banquet, remember the cups have been exchanged. Amen. Yeah. That you no longer drink the cup of wrath. You drink the cup of blessing, as Paul calls yeah. it, because Jesus took that other cup for you. And boy, that is grounds to rejoice and be thankful for. And what is Eucharist? It's Thanksgiving. Yes, that's exactly what it means. And it's, uh, yeah. And just the, this is my body. People fought forever. I mean, you yeah. just, just to loop this back. The Lutherans, Zwingli, one's going, "This is my body," and the other goes back, "This is this is my body," and they're fighting over the same words. <laughs> you know, the key piece there is when we do this feast, like you said, it's 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 renewing our allegiance and our identity with the way of Jesus Christ. And when we eat that, we're joining together and saying, "Yeah, we want to." To have that same, we want that close fellowship with the Lord, and it's a means of joining in the fellowship that Jesus started with these uh, twelve people, and then other, you know, some folks. You probably, I don't know if this is in your books or not, but they mentioned the disciples, but perhaps their families were there too, and they yeah. really had a whole big family meal, yeah. and that's what we're identifying with one another and with our yeah. with our Lord Jesus. You know, Brian, we've had uh, in the fellowships that I've been a part of over the years, we have had Lord's suppers. In this way, I'm talking about it was a full banquet. We begin with the bread, we end with the cup. During that time, people are sharing. And I've been part of fellowships where 40, 50 adults, and sometimes we've rented a banquet room, sometimes we've had it in homes, but here's what it was marked by. As we were partaking of the meal, one by one by one, people standing up and sharing Christ and sharing about his death and anticipating his coming. Because the supper looks back at the cross, but it looks forward to the kingdom coming in its fullness when he himself, as he said, will partake with us. And so one by one, 
as we're eating, there's singing, there's sharing, there's different people. I mean, everybody, you know, not just one person, not just the leaders, quote unquote, every single person sharing Christ together. And some of those meetings went on two, three hours, anticipating the full banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as Revelation calls it. We were living in the foregleam of that as we partook of the Lord's Supper. And so I give that to our listeners. If you're part of a fellowship, you're part of a church, consider having the Lord's Supper in the way that I'm speaking about. It takes some preparation, but I tell you what, that will be much closer to what the first century Christians experienced. And you will be anticipating a lot more realistically <laughs> what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus returns and we have this banquet with him in person. That's powerful. Have you included non-believers in any of these uh, opportunities and seen a time when anybody's been converted by being at a love feast? Okay, now this is really, this is an interesting question. I want to come back to this if you have. Yeah, this is a very interesting question because you have disagreement among Christians. Some believers believe the table of the Lord is open for all. And so in that concept, they would say, you know, an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus should be able to partake of the cup and the bread. You have others who would say this is only for the believer because the believer understands what it is. If it's a reaffirmation and a renewal of what happened at baptism, if a person hasn't been baptized, meaning the biblical way, they're they're giving their life to Jesus, their family meal, then it doesn't really make sense. So this is how we have done it in our fellowships. Right, and I'm not hard nosed on this. This is just you know what we have come to, in terms of our conviction. If there is an unbeliever who has been coming to the mm-hmm. fellowship meetings, yeah, yes, right, yes, it's not just going to walk out the street. Yes, you know they're interested in the Lord. Then what we have done is we've allowed them to participate in the meal, but we ask them not to take the bread and the cup because of what that represents. Mm-hmm. Now once they're baptized then it makes sense, right? Because now they're reaffirming and renewing their previous allegiance or their allegiance, you know, which happened initially at baptism to Jesus. But to take those elements for someone who's not part of the family, not part of the body of Christ, doesn't have the life of God in them, you know, to us it doesn't make sense. But we do allow them to come to the meal and watch what happens. And a person can get saved right there in terms of, turning to Jesus and giving their life to Jesus by hearing all the sharing of the Lord and the singing and the joy and the celebration. And if they come to Christ right then, well then, here it is. Here's the cup and here's the bread. And let's baptize you first because I'm someone who believes that if you come to the Lord, we take you to water. And that was the first century way. It wasn't the sinner's prayer. That's another chapter in the book, Pagan Christianity, folks, how the sinner's prayer replaced water baptism when you lead someone to Jesus That's good. Uh, historically. Yeah. But in the first century, you came to Jesus Christ, we take you to water, and we baptize you. Yeah, that's powerful. I know in, um, in the tradition, I'm, I come from the Methodist side of the family, and, uh, um, and I know John Wesley, he believes so strongly in the power of um, the Lord's Supper that if people were, not just anybody walking in, but if, if people were interested and you know, have part of the traditional service talks about you know if you if you humbly repent of your sins mm-hmm. 
you could come and, and, and actually share the meal because Wesley thought it was such so powerful because it's identifying mm. with the death of Jesus that he, he saw people converted in it. So it sounds like you've seen similar experiences without yes. necessarily sharing the elements. I just think that's an interesting part because sometimes now it's so open that it doesn't it's lo- loses value. So I like what you said, and that's just interesting for my own piece because the mm. Methodists were the one was the, was the one tribe that sort of has had open table per mm-hmm. se, but it's because. Mm-hmm. Really, what you just said is because it could be so meaningful for a person who's seeking, seeking, that's, that's right. not just yep. showing up. That um, I think that's why it shows up in the Gospels too. It's a powerful, powerful witness. Yeah. So I was just curious where where, yeah. where, where you were on that. Well, we hope you enjoyed this. Next time you take the Lord's Supper in whatever form, just keep in mind some of the things we shared, and hopefully it will have a deeper meaning for you. Yes. Until next time, be good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the Insurgents has begun. Don't miss it. Thank you.